Sorry. I want to talk about a film. Oh, on, on you this, want to talk about a film? On this video game podcast. Um, yes, okay. welcome listeners to the spin-off Doctor's Gaiden. Um, <laughs> there already is one of those. There actually is. Yeah, yeah there's a, what's it called? The spin-off? The spin-off, spin-off Doctor's action? spin-off. Or... Yeah, I've, I've been on the spin-off Doctor's spin-off. I talked about uh, 80s animated Japanese Mario film. There you go. That's, that is bad yeah. when, when you have fans that are so desperate for you to make the content <laughs> that you can't seem to deliver that they start to make their own version of it. Yeah, I um, yeah. I need to get back to them because they did invite me on it, and um, I'd be up for that. Oh yeah, no, they've invited me too. I'm, I'm I don't know when we're doing it yet, but I'll be on that at some point. I'd be totally up for appearing on a fan cast <laughs> of the podcast we're not on. Uh. But yeah, you want to tell us about a film? Yeah, yes, yes. Which I'm assuming isn't a video game film because well, you're, you're talking about it here. A video game's mentioned on it. A video yeah. game is, me- <laughs> yeah. Um, so my TV, when I turn it on of a morning, recommends me crap, utter mm-hmm. crap. There's one about like Michael Jackson being like revived as a zombie or something shit, <laughs> um, like proper like mockbuster kind of things, the kind of stuff you'd see on the Asylum, like that movie label. Um, yeah. Sometimes really old B movie things as well. Mm. And I. Because of the old ADHD, I haven't really watched a proper movie in a long, long time. And yet, and yet, I could not resist <laughs> Merlin the Return starring Rick Mayle as Merlin. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I looked at it. It's from the year 2000. The logo made it look like a continuation of, like, the Sam Neill Merlin. Um, like that, that, I don't know whether you'd call it a film or a... No, so like a, lim- a television miniseries or yeah, something? Yeah, that, I guess that would be it. Yeah, miniseries. That was really good from oh. what I remember. Oh, wow. I'm looking at the, the, the box art and posters for this. That sure is a an aesthetic I wouldn't have pegged to the 2000s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It it really <laughs> looks like something like out the 80s. Um, not just yeah. visually, like plot-wise as well. The plot sure is something. Now, I, I clicked on it because I'm like, right, Rick Mail's on the cover. He's not pulling a Rick Mail face. Is this him doing serious acting? Because that I want to see. Now, I've seen him do some serious stuff before. Um, but dressed as Merlin, I've not seen that. So I started watching <laughs> it via the, the, the service called Plex. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, which yeah. just, as, as far as I could tell, has a lot of crap. Oh, it has a ton of crap. Well, I mean, Plex is... I use Plex a lot, actually, because it is an incredibly useful um, streaming video server program. Right. So, like, I have a computer that hosts all my media and runs a Plex server, oh. and then I can stream it to any TV or my phone or, you know, I can... When I travel, even, yeah. I can, well, like, still listen to my unsealed the alien files while I'm going to sleep oh, over Wi-Fi through Plex. It's great. Well, all of that sounds really good. But what they also do is a bunch of awful streaming crap. Well, I mean, <laughs> surely the value you see in Plex is shot through the roof knowing they've got Merlin the Return starring Rick Mail and, and Adrian Pohl. Oh, I used to watch, uh, they have a lot of like live streaming video channels on there, and Linda and I would watch one called Nosy, that's nothing but Jerry Springer, and, um, oh, who's the, uh, Maury Povich, is it Povich? 
Maury Povich, Maury Povich. yes, that's Maury, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. all that. That's all Excellent. it is. It's just them for a nonstop loop. And we, we spent <laughs> weeks just watching Nosy. Well, it was incredible. Steffi, you're sure this film is from the year 2000 and not the early 80s? Because oh, I'm yeah. skimming through it now, and it does not look like a film Bear in mind. filmed on, on the year 2000's technology or using its uh, its its uh, CGI tech. Bear in mind, in the 80s, Rick Mayall was doing The Young Ones. So if you mm-hmm. look at Rick Mayall in that, in Merlin the Return, that's clearly 2000's yeah, Rick no, Mayall. That's post-bottom Rick Mayall. It is, but also... But the film looks like it's from the 80s. I feel like they feel they they somehow took Rick Mail out of the 2000s threw him back to the 80s filmed it there <laughs> and then sent the footage forward again. It's funny you should say that. Um because time travel is involved. Uh-huh. Well, sort of. I guess it's not time travel, but it does involve like them being in medieval times and then being in modern times, uh, the modern 2000. Wait, Tia Carrera's in this? Oh, don't get me We're leading and Adrian up Adrian Paul yeah, Adrian Paul is um, Mordred. Who oh talks like this? And gets, like, rubbed by many women. He's, <laughs> he's sat at one point on a throne, fully clothed, while women just sort of rub their hands on him, and he kind of does the Undertaker eyes a bit. Um, so <laughs> Mordred, in this story, Mordred has, is, is on the cusp of winning. The film is told out of order to the point where I don't know what's happening for like the first 20, 25 minutes. But the general story is, because they tell you in text at the beginning, they just don't tell you what order of events you're looking at. And it turns out none of it's in the past. It's all in real time. It just looks like it's in the past because the film's bonkers. So anyway, Rick Mayle is Merlin. And what he did was Mordred was winning so he made king arthur and his knights go to sleep for 1500 years but trapped mordred in the underworld where he's just kind of ruling as king among uh, some oppressive green lighting guinevere and lancelot are trapped with mordred for reasons and merlin keeps going back to the underworld in disguise to keep an eye on him the first thing merlin does in this film is trip up on his own robe and The costume comes off, and then he runs away. Brilliant hero. By the way, I watched this film unsure. I was watching it because I was unsure if it was meant to be a comedy or serious. I've settled on I don't know. (laughs) Um... Um Sorry, I I feel like I I feel like I could answer that question because I've been looking at the IMDb page, and there is a section called goofs, and I'm just gonna read you the first thing in the goofs section. Guinevere wears chainmail but has a very revealing neckline, which somewhat defeats the purpose. Lovely. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you, the, the film is a goof. The goof section yes. on IMDb should just say Merlin the Return. Yeah, um, yeah. So basically, Merlin is knocking about in modern day, keeping an eye on stuff. He's, he's been maintaining a spell to keep Mordred locked up and Arthur asleep in case he ever needs him to, to, to fight Mordred. Meanwhile, Tia Carrera uh, is a scientist who's communicating with Mordred because of an deal TM conspiring to get him out. While Morgan Le Fay is simultaneously in the underworld, but also in modern day uh, with no memory that she's Morgan Le Fay. There's a plucky kid, plucky American kid, obviously, who gets involved. He's playing a Game Boy at one point and it's going... Ooh. It's making bleep bloop noises that the Game Boy doesn't make. And then the plucky girl says, oh, Dungeon Keeper, 
What? Aha! The game, <laughs> the game claims that Dungeon Keeper is a Game Boy game. Wonderful. I would love a Game Boy port of Dungeon I Keeper. I love would it. Be yeah, it'd be amazing. Anyway, hijinks ensue. Uh, King Arthur wakes up. They attack a truck, thinking it's some sort of beast that they're going to hunt. Lots of complicated plot. I got really bored at one point and just stopped paying attention. An image of Rick Mayall as Merlin in disguise as a scientist is an excellent image, though. I will give it that. But the whole thing kind of settles on family-friendly adventure film, which makes the ending even worse. Because let's, mostly the film's boring. It's not one of those so bad it's good worth checking out. But the ending is dark for this film that has settled on light-hearted in the same vein as, say, Krull or Rush Hour. Okay. Mordred's defeated. I don't know how. I was distracted by the Discord at that point, mostly talking about this film. Mordred's defeated. Tia Carrera is captured. And as near as I can tell, once I tuned back in, they're sending her back in time to go and, like, be a prisoner of Arthur. Essentially, they're kidnapping her with no due process. <laughs> and and I guess, what, what benefit does that serve? Oh. Sending them back in time. Would you like to know? Because oh I'm about to tell you. Okay. Now, I'm not sure which night it was because I wasn't paying attention, but this is the last, except for like something Arthur shouts before he puts the sword in the stone and goes back in time, right? The last full line of the film is one of... Arthur's knights puts his arm around a very nervous Tia Carrera and just says, oh, don't worry. We're going to have lots of fun. Oh, what? Oh. Credits. Um. That's how this family swashbuckling adventure ends. Whoa. With an implied sexual assault. A time-traveling one at that. I... Wow. <laughs> this sure is a film that is exactly 90 minutes long, so it can be called a film. Uh, I mean, I will say this, right? Y'all didn't see that one coming, did you? No, no did not. No, no, did not did see not. it coming. Did not see that coming. Nor did I. Uh, I just sat there stunned. Nor would any sensible person. Yeah, the first thing this film had done that had actually been memorable... The last full line of the film, and I'm just sat there thinking, you fucking what? No, no, yeah. no, no, don't go, don't go back in time, Arthur. State, there's, I've questions now. <laughs> no, come back here, come back to the year 2000. I've quit, oh, he's fucked off. To do oh. God knows what. God. They're the heroes. That is. That, oh. that is. The the rubbing that was being done to a fully clothed Mordred, that looked consensual. They were loving it. They were genuinely into rubbing a fully clothed Mordred. As far as I can tell, he's the one with class. And Mordred seemingly into it too. You know, we don't want to, you know, exclude well, their consent. He was sort of apathetic. <laughs> he was just sort of <laughs> sat there scowling. Um... So I don't know if he was into it, but he wasn't against it. Okay, fair enough. It was very clearly implied that it was like, this is just normal. This is, I guess that was his scheming rub. And maybe he's got different <laughs> rubs for other things, but that was his scheming rub. Uh, the special effects are amazing. They're all cartoons. It's just like cartoon lightning. 
cartoon smoke. The green smoke. They couldn't even get a smoke machine. Green cartoon smoke coming out of Mordred's frankly hilarious paper mache helmet. Uh, so anyway, that is my day. How's everyone else? My my day, other than being here to record Podquisition, ostensibly a video game podcast, um, I am currently drinking a can of, of drink that I got in a Swedish airport, Ooh. the flavour of which is apeshit orange. I love it. Uh, it has a very angry gorilla on it. I would be as well if they were turning my apeshit into orange drink. Yeah, um, you know, it, it tastes of the most artificial orange I could possibly imagine, like... Take, like, 90s Panda Pops Orange-Aid and turn it up to 11. Brilliant. It, it sure is, it sure is apeshit orange. <laughs> that's, that, that's how I'm, I'm doing. Fantastic. How are you, Conrad? Yeah, I am, I'm all right. Been, uh, I saw Sisters of Mercy last week. Ooh. Uh-huh. Um, the, you know, goth band. Yeah. And it yeah. was good. Not Sisters of Murphy's, the, no. um... <laughs> Early to turn of the millennium, um, <laughs> mascots of Murphy's the beer. Yeah, I've no, never heard that. You that's a, that's a cultural reference that I would not uh, would yeah. not be able to get. You wouldn't have. But, How were Sisters of Mercy though? Uh, they were they were good. The the audio mix is, at the show was a bit weird. They uh, the backup singers were significantly louder, and uh, I guess. Dude's voice just isn't that great anymore, and so they're adjusting for it, which is kind of a shame. And they didn't have a bass. Hmm. Not, like, they had two guitars and no bass. Oh. That was odd for a band that, you know, leverages the bass a lot. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but on the whole, the show was good. You know, I'd never seen them before, so I had nothing to compare it to in terms of earlier tours. And to be honest, I'm not... I'm not the biggest Sisters of Mercy fan. I they're fine. I like them uh, well enough. I'm a Jim Steinman fan. You have mentioned Jim Steinman many times, many over the years many in times. the work we've done. Yeah, yes. And Jim Steinman produced uh, Sisters of Mercy's breakout album, uh, Floodland. Mm. So um, this corrosion is so such a Jim Steinman song. It's utterly unmistakable. <laughs> it's amazing. And they played that, and it was good. Um, and, you know, they have a nice stripped-down version of it for the live show that isn't, like, 13 minutes long, uh, which is cool. And yeah. that was nice, and yeah, we had a good time. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I I saw a thing this week that I very quickly want to say was good. Um, yeah. I, went and, I went and saw that new animated Spider-Man film. Oh, oh yeah, yes, that's all the rage. Things. Yeah, for any... Did either of you see the first one that happened? Yep. Uh, yes, I did, yeah. Yeah, vi- like, visually incredibly impressive, doing a lot of very creative stuff. Visually, the new one fucking made the first one look like a, like a warm-up plan. Wow. I, like, from a, from an animation perspective, I am fucking blown away with what they did hmm. and how consistently that film does a lot of different things animation-wise without them feeling like they're clashing or over-cluttering scenes in ways that I am so glad I saw, like, in a cinema on a big screen. Um, Just, like, as an animation nerd, Mm. absolutely gorgeous piece of animation. Like, that studio is, 
really pushing the bar for animated work, and that was like well, well worth seeing, even if just to go this this is visually something quite impressive. I mean, it's going to have to work really hard to top Merlin the Return. But I mean, I'm you know, it, it, it certainly go. doesn't have as surprising an ending as Merlin the Return. <laughs> no. It sounds like, but uh, yeah. Should, yeah. we, should we talk about should we talk about some video games? Yeah, if I could just do one thing Ooh. first. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm I'm defending the women's title this oh. Saturday. So Ooh. like I I I'm milking it for all it's worth because this might be the last <laughs> week I have it, you know. Right. Yeah. It's my first defense. It's the main event and so the pressure is fucking immense. It's pride of right. the ring too. So like the pressure up and down the board, like I'm nervous. But just to let folks know, it's uh, June 10th in Blackpool. Uh, look up PCW UK. They're at PCW underscore UK on Twitter. Ticket information should be at buytickets.at slash PCW. That's June 10th, Blackpool, Pride of the Ring 2. So yes, I'm, I'm clutching this thing like a dragon on a pile of gold. <laughs> it, it's so solid, everyone. It's like so solid crew. It's tangible and real and it's mine. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, you know what's less tangible, but it's happening the day before that, that people should check out? It's the Accessibility Summer Showcase, Friday, June 9th, 4pm UK, 11am Eastern, t- uh, 8am Pacific. Check it out at youtube.com slash laurakbuzz or twitch.tv slash laurakbuzz. It's this week, please watch it. There you go. I'd, I'd squeeze that in too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll still have the belt on that day. You will. So You will still have the belt so on that day. it will definitely be a good day. Yeah. The day after may or may not be a, a good day. We'll see. Depends yeah. how, how it goes. Well, I've got to stop the belt being accessible to Harley Hudson, so... What yeah. are we on about? You're definitely going to still have the belt. Definitely. Like, no, you're un- unbeatable. Yeah. You're not indefeatable. I genuinely don't know what's happening either. <laughs> genuinely don't know. Uh, but I do know what's going to happen next. We're going to maybe talk about video games we're gonna 20 minutes in? We're going to maybe talk about... That's, <laughs> we're definitely... Maybe going to talk about video games 20 minutes and yes. Well, uh, uh, yeah. d- does one of you want to start talking about a game you played this week? Because I didn't play much in the way of games because I'm getting the uh, the Accessibility Summer Showcase ready, which uh-huh, is going to be yeah. taking a lot of my time. Which have you, you, you been play, playing games? What you been playing? I've played two. How many have you played, Conrad? I, I've played one thing worth remarking on. Right. Yeah, I've played one thing. If we're talking about worth remarking, I've played one. <laughs> I've I've played one thing a little bit I can start talking about, and I've kept playing Zelda. That's how I've done this yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Why don't you start, Steph? Start, okay. start us off on something. I'll start with the one that's actually relevant to some degree. A new Amnesia game is out. I did see that had appeared. Yes, Amnesia the Bunker. Is this the one where you have a gun with one bullet in it? Yeah, <laughs> um, you can get more. Okay, that's all I know about it, is you get, have a gun and it has a single bullet, Is was all I understood of it. Yeah, you have a revolver, um, which can ward off the, the beast or be used for various other things. But it's set in a bunker, as you might expect, in World War One. so fairly interesting premise. It's better than the last one. I forget what that one was called. That game itself was so mediocre and forgettable. That series' naming conventions have never been easy for me to keep straight no. in my head. Like, I think Amnesia the Dark Descent was the first one, the one that was yes. good. Um, yeah, the one that was good. And then there was that one that was set, you're being chased by ghouls, 
or something or a goal. I can't remember. It was so forgettable. Um, very disappointing. The only one I remember anything about after the Dark Descent is a machine for pigs, and that's just cause yeah. it was called a machine for pigs. Oh yeah, there was that one. So the one after that, I think you're trying to remember, Steph, is Amnesia Rebirth. Yes, yes, utter shit. Um, a machine for pigs. I liked very different, and I'll, I'll give Amnesia that. Every game is different. Hmm. The gameplay is... There are similarities, obviously, especially with, you know, stealth-based hiding from a monster kind of shit. But the premise is always different, and there are differences in gameplay. Like, Amnesia is very... You know, that kick-started a lot of the screamy YouTuber mm-hmm. horror game yeah, uh, kind of stuff. A Machine for Pigs was a lot more adventure-based. There were monsters and things, but it was a lot more about, like unveiling this story as you go i've said before that it's got one of the best video game titles ever because it's just evocative as hell um very interesting game uh rebirth yeah yeah not worth talking about uh amnesia the bunker this one is interesting it is definitely better than rebirth i'm not yet entirely sure how much i like it but i have warmed to it so you're in this bunker The bunker itself is like, you've got a central hub that you kind of strike out from, and there's a lot of running backwards and forwards, because there's a generator in the central hub that you've got to keep filling with fuel to keep the lights on, because that keeps the the beast at bay, this quasi-goofy, quasi-creepy-looking monster that stomps about. It's a bit like Alien Isolation, actually. There is this one central monster that is constantly stalking you and you hear it scrabbling in the walls and if you make too much noise, it comes after you. And in general, it's okay. What I don't like about it is the constant resource management. You have a piddlingly tiny inventory that even with upgrades, you you get one slot each time and you are constantly needing to collect fuel to run back for a generator that burns it fucking quick. Mm. to see in the dark and you'll often need it even if you've got the generator running because it doesn't light everything you've got a kind of a pull cord operated lamp so you've just got to pull it like a like a like, well like a mini generator thing really and that makes noise and it drains so fucking quick like it it is a matter of seconds so you are constantly pulling this thing while risking alerting the monster every time which means you'll just have to turn it off anyway so you're constantly running back and forward to put fuel in the thing and put things in the storage chest which itself has a small inventory space so eventually you're just running out of room to carry anything and it's just a bit excessive if they'd toned Mm. it down a bit if the generator burned fuel a bit slower Because I kind of like the idea of ferrying stuff back and then getting yourself ready to run back out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's got a nice little loop, kind of striking out, pushing a little bit further, finding dog tags with like locker codes on the back because there's a big locker room. And almost all the stuff you need to progress is in that locker room. So it's mm. it's striking out, finding the dog tags of all your fallen bunker mates, running back, opening a locker and getting like a crank that will end lockdown so that you can get to new spaces in the bunker or a gas mask that will let you get past the poisoned areas. That's really cool. It's just the resource drain is so quick 
that you kind of get bored when if they'd have paced it just a bit better, I'd have been a lot more intrigued and excited about it than I am kind of a bit, ugh, I've got to go running back now. It sounds like if your sort of stable safe area had been a bit more stable, it would have been like, I can have my breather to go for those pushes out into the danger a bit. Sort of. I mean, the... You can stay in the, the hub as long as you like. There are locks on the door. So even mm. if it goes dark, you're fine. It's more that you just don't get enough time outside of it before it gets oh. dark. Yeah. And you can still explore when it's dark, but you can not You can barely see a thing. And I wish you could go for bigger pushes. Yeah, and the monster will get so easily alerted when it's dark that you spend a lot of time hiding under a bed, and then you're like, um not scared anymore i'm i'm just a bit bored which is not what you want but it's it's a risk that happens in so many horror games where you get bored or annoyed like slender eight pages is a great example of that where i'm running around with a a memory disorder so like all these identical trees and things it's really hard to know where i've been because you've got to run around these woods collecting eight pieces of paper while this Slenderman thing is constantly on your ass, obscuring your vision, getting in your way. And by the end of it, you don't feel like you're being stalked by a scary monster. You feel like you're being harassed, which for someone who produces content on the internet is just a bus driver's holiday. <laughs> uh, I don't need that. <laughs> this isn't as bad as something like that, but it's just taking the edge off what is a really atmospheric game with a really cool premise. I like the bunker setting. I like that they the, the safe room loop that they have. And the loading screen really oversells this aspect. But no obstacle, unless it's something you specifically need an, an item for in a kind of Metroidvania kind of sense. A lot of the obstacles have no set solution. So it's nowhere near as like complex as something like Deus Ex. But if there is a door, there are different ways you can get Around that, there might be a hidden little vent somewhere. You can grab an explosive barrel and roll it to the door and then shoot it with one of your few bullets to just blow it open. Mm. There are, like, rats. It's the, the only other enemy I've seen so far are, like, oversized rats that kind of pull around food sources and are really annoying obstacles. But there are multiple methods you could have to, like, burn the corpse they're eating so they don't come back. Because you can get rid of them temporarily, like with a torch that you can craft, or before I thought to burn the body, I rolled another barrel down there and shot it and just exploded all the rats, but they came back because the corpse was still there. So the next time I did it, I created, I forget how I created the fire, but I got one of my fuel tanks and just splashed it about until the fire reached the corpse, and then the rats have not come back. Uh, so little things like that. The game really oversells it in like the loading screen. Just oh, you experiment. There's if you think it's possible, it probably is. And it's like there aren't that many options, mate. Roll a barrel, throw a grenade, shoot a door. Like there aren't many options, so of course it's possible. But it is still kind of neat. It does just enough that it doesn't feel like generic video game puzzle TM. And that's something uh, I've noticed in quite a few games of late is especially like playing something like Gollum with the stealth, where the, the orcs are so robotic in their movement. The game is ba basically screaming, I am a video game. But with just a 
few little, just that tiniest sense of, of creativity in, in solving a problem, it just stops it feeling too much like a video game with a set path. So, yeah, uh, I guess that's about all I've got to say on it. Mm. I'm still making my way through it for a review, but I, I do like it. Not as, well, I don't know if I like it. I'd have to replay Dark Descent because I did, I guess I've always just kind of liked amnesia games i'm not in love with them Mm. i think in terms of being well made this is the best built one with the best premise if they'd have just rebalanced some of the more ponderous resource management i think i'd have like really really liked it but as it stands i have warmed up to it and i'm i'm i am enjoying it and that is that game that sounds like a game yeah yeah, not yeah. not not shabby yeah, well, at all. I uh I played a game this week. Last year, one of my favorite games to come out was Infernax, that sort of oh yeah classic Castlevania yeah. style platformer. And mm-hmm. uh, some months back, they added a co op mode to it. They introduced a squire character that is traveling with the Duke, and they have their own whole repertoire which is interesting. I think because specifically you need the main character's magic abilities to do parts of the game. You can't just play as the squire, as far as I can tell. Maybe there's a a character name means of accessing them. I haven't bothered to look into it. But when you play with the squire, you have them both there. And in single player, you switch between them. And in co-op, one person plays the duke and the other plays the squire. And the squire's basic attack is a throwing axe. Um, you know, that, that sort of standard thing. And it's pretty well designed, except that the hitbox on it feels a bit small. Like, you have to be shockingly accurate with it, and it is hard to do that because it's sort of a slow, lazy arc anyway. So it almost feels like the hitbox on it needs to be a little bit larger uh, just to feel like it's actually effective. But one of the things I like about it is it has an upward arc and a more forward arc, depending on whether you just press the button or if you press the button while pressing forward. And that's kind of fun to fiddle with a little bit. I, I, I like that it... it it demonstrates some thought into it and not just doing the old axe armor throw and leaving it at that. So that's good. Uh, but they also get a series of upgrades that give them some of the capabilities that the Duke has, but they also function in different ways. You can get a shield, and the shield is like a big assault shield thing. You can set it down and leave it there to block attacks at at full height while you stand behind throwing axes. That's neat. There's a crossbow that gets obscenely powerful as you level it up. At the fourth upgrade, I think, it starts to pierce enemies. And then it's just, okay, you get it into the room and you're kind of golden. 
takes a bit to reload. There's a reload action to it. That's the what your you know compensation is. You get one shot with it, and then you have like a a two second reload process that you have to hold triangle and be completely vulnerable uh, throughout that whole period. So that I like that a lot. And then there's like a health restoration thing, and and there's some fourth ability I'm forgetting. But the, I like the squire character, and I I, I like playing it in co-op i really wanted linda to play this game but it it's not exactly an easy sell it's really frustratingly hard at times and even on the casual difficulty that we were playing it on it it can be a little punishing until you start to get some experience levels so i thought she might get turned off by it in that state but in the co-op it, it works really well we did reach uh, a point where we were struggling to get through a section and we kept switching controllers. It's like, all right, well, I'll try playing the Squire for a bit and maybe we can... But that was fun. It's still a really, really good game. If you haven't had a chance to play Infernax yet and you like those sort of retro platformers, it's one of the best ones in years. And I would strongly recommend you check it out. Uh, so yeah, that's... I just wanted to talk about Infernax some more, and the co-op gave me an excuse. Neat. Yeah. As I said at the start, I've really not been having a lot of time to play stuff this week. I've been travelling for work and trying to get the uh, accessibility showcase ready, but I did find a little bit of time to start playing around with Street Fighter VI, mm. which ah. I've been wanting to check out for a while, because... Uh, that game has a bunch of really interesting stuff going on with it accessibility-wise that I was really curious to check out. Um... One thing I want to note uh, that is not about my own experience, but something I've seen talked about online that is like worth talking about. Street Fighter VI has some really cool new stuff in place for making the game more accessibly playable for blind players based on audio cues, which is great. What is not so great is that Street Fighter VI doesn't have a traditional menu system. You are running around a 3D open world to interact with NPCs to go to various menu options, which is not so good for navigation for blind players, which really sucks. It's not good for anything. No, I'm, I really wish this game, like, for many reasons, just had the option to be like, just give me a traditional menu. But that's, that's infuriating, and I wanted to just mention it, but... Yeah, I've been playing around a bit with the uh, story mode of Street Fighter VI, the character creation is fucking ridiculous in the best of ways. This is one of those games that if you sit and patiently mess around, you can create horrific monstrosities to play as, and I very much appreciate being permitted to create weird little abominations. I quite like that the, the single-player mode in this is a lot more substantial than most fighting game single-player modes. You basically have a little open-world fighting RPG, where you go around exploring, picking up side quests, uh, you know, building up stat levels to build up your little custom character. And the way that this sort of feeds into the main game is you're meeting traditional Street Fighter characters and learning their fighting styles, and then basically making your custom character play somewhat like one of the characters on the main roster for a little while to teach you the basics of how to play as them, to sort of introduce you to like, hey, here's how all the various characters play while you're doing your little story mode. And it's it's honestly pretty fun. It is more engaging than I usually find single-player content in a fighting game. 
the main thing I've been playing around with is modern control mode, which we talked about, I think, last summer. I went and tried to demo this. I was very this. excited when you brought that up. I downloaded the demo and haven't got round to it because I want to do that before I get the game, but I, I really hope it's good. Honestly, I'm really impressed with uh, with modern mode. I think it strikes a really good balance. Um, so for anyone who uh, doesn't doesn't know what modern mode is, basically, you know in a traditional Street Fighter or, or similar fighting game, to do your super moves, you have to remember a series of inputs and do them in order, usually at like a specific precise timing, and if you fail the timing of your combo string, you don't get to do your special attack. Yeah. Uh, what modern control mode does is you lose out on maybe one or two little bits of functionality on the character, but in exchange you have a much more, much closer to something like Super Smash Brothers control scheme, where uh, you have uh, a light, uh, medium, and heavy attack button, and you have a button that is dedicated to special moves. And all that you do with it is much like Smash Brothers, you press the special move button and a direction, and that direction correlates to one of your special moves, and if you have enough meter, you do the special move. There is also stuff for if you struggle with, with like your basic attack combos, you can hold down a button and keep pressing, say, the auto combo button and heavy, or auto combo and medium, and do a basic combo in that damage versus speed category. As I said, you will miss out on a little bit of functionality, and what I mean by that is most characters will have maybe one, maybe two of their moves, usually like very top-end ones, that won't be mapped to that basic B button and direction. They're still available to you, but you will probably have to learn the combo input for that move if you also want to be able to do that move. But it does reduce a lot of the complexity, in that 99% of the moveset is just single button and direction, and it doesn't lock you out of being able to learn the couple of things that didn't fit on that setup. And honestly, I think the trade-off has been really worthwhile. Um, I've been playing a little bit of just online matches, and I've been surprised at how well I've been keeping pace. And the way I think that this balances, and this is just the early impression I'm getting, is that Sure, you lose out on a couple of little bits at the top end, but reliability as a player that is like not amazingly skilled at fighting games, the increased consistency of being able to do the moves you're trying to do closes that skill gap a lot more than losing one move off of your, your default moveset. And I have just had a much more enjoyable time getting into this game as a result. I've talked about this with with Smash Brothers as a game before, and I think the same is true here. One of the things that makes Smash Brothers a really approachable fighting game is that you can take a lot of your muscle memory from one character to another. Because even if the special moves they have are different, you're not having to learn an entirely new list of combos to pick up a new character. Uh, and the same is very much it's very much true here with Street Fighter VI. If you understand the fundamental buttons for one character, Sure, uh, B in a direction might do a different special, but it's still B in a direction to do a special. And that makes swapping, like hopping between characters and seeing what works for you, much less of a mechanical hurdle. And I need to put more time in with it, but it really does feel like it's doing what I had hoped it would do as someone that really struggles with combo inputs, which is it allows me to not have to think about 
the combo strings and the inputs nearly so much, and focus more on what is my opponent doing, what am I supposed to do to counter them, to be thinking about the match in front of me and not the buttons that will let me do the thing I want to do. And that has made a really big difference to my enjoyment of this, and I am really excited to put more time in when I have time to come back to this. Um, so yeah, I am really happy with Street Fighter Six from what I've seen so far. Excellent. I am. Um, yeah. I'm gonna have to get that. Da- like I downloaded it when it came out, and that was ages ago. I really would just love a Street Fighter I can play, especially because I saw that video clip that's going around, where the one girl turns around and shows her ass and then beckons <laughs> with her foot, and it's like she's using her foot to beckon on her ass, and then Cammy is doing her like pre-fight pose where it looks like she's getting her fist ready, and I want that for myself. I really hope you get on well with it. I, I think they've done a really good job of minimising a lot of barriers to this one, and it's really nice that it has not felt like it has uh, reduced the... Compl- it doesn't feel like it's reduced the complexity of the game, only the complexity of me being able to interface with it, and that's really nice. But yeah, what about you, Steph? What else have you been playing this week? Uh, Outriders, again, and yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. And not yeah, just not just because I live streamed it last night and when I officially said I was done with it and I turned it off on my Xbox my entire PC crashed and that's how my stream ended. <laughs> um, and it looked like a bit because I was like I could just stop. Yeah, I'm going to stop then my stream ends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sometimes streaming a game puts into perspective what a fun time you're not having. Mm. Uh, yeah. I don't quite know what it is, whether it's just that added pressure to entertain with something that isn't entertaining you, let alone anyone else. But it really drove home what an insipid, dull, dreary time I was having. Not helped by the fact that whenever I stopped the game and went back, it remembered all my progress but threw me back several checkpoints, including like several missions. And I didn't know how to get back. I found one way to like pick a story point, but it didn't get me all the way there. So I started streaming and I'm like, I've done this mission before and this one. And then talked about the one giant spider I fought about three times, not including the time I joined someone's online game and fought it again. So everything I played on stream, I think, was... Yeah, I'd done everything before on that stream. Like, two-hour stream. Obviously, 20 minutes was spent talking about wrestling and Manta Force, so we can't include of that course, bit. Of course, of course. But, um, yeah, it trying to not only be entertaining, but remain entertained for that stream, especially with how, like, bullet-spongy everything was, and I was at... Like the stream ended when we spent ages, me and two other players, just chipping away and chipping away and chipping away at this enemy, who then just downed us all at once. And I was faced with the prospect of doing it again. And not just the boss, but the waves of enemies that came before it. And I just stopped. I'm just, you know what? I was curious to see how the game was after all this time. I've sussed it out. Now I'm done. So that's about all I've got to say with regards to that. It is just boring. It's another live service and ultimately it's boring. It has those positives I mentioned with the healing, 
through aggressive action and some of the skills are quite nice. Like some of the gun upgrades, I've got one with a, a, a an ability that just every now and then calls a lightning strike down on an enemy. So it's like at least they took an assault rifle and made it do something interesting. But other than that, yeah. If you want a game that just wastes your time brainlessly, there's better ones. There's Hyrule Warriors. Play that. Play that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Conrad? You played anything else this I week? I mean, I, I... Okay. I have an update to my Tears of the Kingdom situation. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, right... As I mentioned last week, I had left off... I had gotten to the Wind Temple... And I had managed to travel there without the assistance of the NPC character that's supposed to be with you when you do that. Because, oh, because yeah, he's yeah. not necessary at all in any way to get there. Um, and so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this Wind Temple. That's fine. So I go do the things necessary to get the NPC. And then I warped to the, the, the shrine that's at the last, like, last stretch of distance before you go yeah. into the temple. Yeah. And I load up, and a dialogue box appears, and it's the fucking bird NPC saying, oh, that's not the right way to go, but if you have something else to do, I'll just meet you, I'll just meet up with you later. Uh. And then I, I went and checked. I went into the Wind Temple to check and make sure that he didn't just, like, mean, I'll meet you in the Wind Temple. He did not. No, I had to go all the way back to the NPC where I left them, where I acquired yeah. them, and mm. carry them with me the entire stretch of ridiculous 25 minutes of platforming. I, I, I know I said this the other week when we talked mm -hmm. about this. This is fascinating because it is so counter to the sequence breaking experience yep. that Jane yep. had with this game. Yep. And it's it's fascinating that this game has such extremes about how it responds to to sequence breaks. It's it, it it was uh it was frustrating. I have since gone back and completed the wind temple and um and then Linda just finished the fire temple and I have a question. Yeah. Are these bosses kind of lame? Because I feel like these bosses are kind of lame. I mean, not as bad as the dungeons, but... I really enjoyed the bosses. I think it depends on the boss. I like the Water Temple one. That was just a cute concept. They're easy. They're, they're quite easy. Yeah, they're really easy. Like, th that's what I'm, I'm kind of getting at. They, they, they don't... I mean, and that's fine. But I, in comparison to everything else that you're fighting or you could just wander into in the environment, they're kind of pushovers. I don't know. It feels incongruous to me, but that's fine. It was a, it was it was an enjoyable boss fight. I liked uh, you know, I mean, fuck it. I'll just I I like that you can come at that boss from the top or the bottom in the Wind Temple. Yeah, I think that's quite a few really things neat. I've come at from the top. Hey oh, <laughs> um, it demonstrated to me that there's still some of that approach this how you want to DNA even in the bosses, which I I, I yeah. do respect that a lot. But 
like a little underwhelming at the same time because you have this sort of big dramatic introduction and then it's just kind of dealt with could could crank that up a little bit and i don't i don't think anyone would be bothered but mm. yeah yeah i'm i, I, I i'm st- i think i might have finally lost interest yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that is that is further than it, than it seemed like you were going to go with. Yeah, it, so. well, I mean, I lost lo- something. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a bad game at all. Like I I know that I every time I talk about it, I have some fresh complaint, but that's because my <laughs> expectation for what this can clearly be is so high, yeah. right? Um, uh, that's reasonable. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've been chipping away at that still. I, my experience with that game, uh, since last week has basically been, I went and found every single cave in that game, so that the little goblin man that wants to eat all the gemstones and maybe transform into a magical creature could eat all of the gemstones and I could find out what happened, and it was, it was kind of sweet. I'm, I'm very glad I went and found all the little painfully shaped gemstones for him to (laughs) shove down his mouth. I've been Um, playing it as well. Um, I still think the same about it. Yeah. 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 I continue to be really enjoying it, despite any, any you know, on, on paper things that could maybe be doing better. I'm same. Fun. Yeah. Well, same. yeah, that's... I'm yeah. enjoying it despite its problems. Seven out of ten. Yeah, it it is <laughs> it is still enjoyable. I I don't have the attention span, you know, or sustainable interest to stick with it to completion. But it's very good. It is fun to play. I'm finding it the perfect game for I have a bunch of projects and stuff going on and I can't commit to anything new, but I can just chip away at little bits of this big thing. Mm. It's been very good for that. Uh, is that everything we've played this week? Thinking so. Yeah. Well, in that case, should we, should we talk about some newsy bits? Yeah, let's do Why it. Why not? Yeah. Um... I'm I'm gonna read you the most infuriating headline uh, I I saw this week. Uh, this is this is the headline that PC Gamer ran for uh, for a particular story. Brilliant. Uh, Activision Blizzard CEO audaciously claims that sexism and harassment problems were made up by an aggressive labor movement trying to destabilize the company. Interesting, considering Activision admit to some of it. Well, you say that. Kotick's really, really, you know, trying to backpedal any admittance of things uh, this past week. Wow, uh, what a nasty little yeah. cunt. So, uh, Bobby Kotick did a pretty lengthy interview with Variety last week, and it is honestly fucking embarrassing to read from a perspective of watching Variety absolutely fucking softball this billionaire and give him basically an unquestioning platform to say the most clearly bullshit self-serving things possible at a time where he's trying to make his company look good so it can get bought out. Summarising this terrible, terrible interview, Bobby Kotick made the claim that there was never a systemic harassment problem within Activision Blizzard, and that any reports of such things were, I'm going to summarise, basically the result of unions trying to cause trouble. But he's not anti-union, though. He's definitely not anti-union. He tried at one point to make the argument that he isn't anti-union by claiming that he's one of the only CEOs in the world to be part of a union. And that's technically correct, kind of. Uh, do you know what union he was a part of? 
And why? Oh, go on. This is going to be good. Bobby Kotick briefly appears in the background of a movie uh, about 20 years ago as an extra. And in order to be in that movie, he had to, join he had SAG. to be a member. Of, oh my god! Yeah, he had to join SAG. So he technically is or was a member of SAG because that was the only way he could be in an extra in a movie twenty years ago. And he's trying to use that as proof that he can't be anti-union. I knew he had some like cameo in a film called Moneyball. I, I think I, that, I believe that, that is the one. I think yeah. Moneyball is the reason he briefly had. I don't know if he still is, but he had to briefly be a member of SAG after which he's now trying to use to defend himself against anti-union complaints. I'm just like you. I mean, when you're that openly spurious in the shit you're saying, and we're supposed to take what you say as the truth just because Scout's Honor honest. Well, he also said his wife's a teacher, and teachers oh. have unions... So, oh no, sorry, it was his mother. His mother it was was a teacher and teachers have unions, so how could he be anti-union? Yeah. When he was seven years old, and this is a real thing, <laughs> when he was seven years old, he sold an ashtray to his mother. <laughs> an interview led with that wow. and referred to um, his actions as compulsive capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And that was a puff piece. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna read some of these quotes because oh, you know God. it's it's uh it's it's worth reading some of his his just direct bullshit that Variety did not push back on at all. Yeah. Um, we've had every possible form of investigation done, and we did not have a systemic issue with harassment ever. We didn't have any of what were mischaracterizations reported in the media, but what we did have was a very aggressive labor movement working hard to try and destabilize the company. That there's no like skipped text or anything in there. That is the quote. That sure sounds like you're trying to blame unions making up lies for the fact that you have pretty clearly uh, yeah. a harassment problem in your company. We should note that the Activision not only didn't deny but admitted to Bobby Kotick uh, leaving a message with an assistant threatening to have them murdered. Um, they tried to downplay it, of course, as, you know, oh, it didn't really mean it. But that's what they admitted to. As I've said about these companies before, the stuff we see them do out in the open, the stuff they admit to, the stuff they just perform publicly as, as normal business practices is so bad that one can only imagine how awful it is. Like, the shit they hide. Yeah. How mad yeah. must the shit they hide be? And to be honest, there's nothing, nothing in the reports of the abuse that goes on at that company that is unbelievable. And and it's well documented. And the, the stories that have come out about Activision Blizzard, they track. They're so consistent and heart-wrenching in some cases and for him to just like make it for him to use his own company's systemic abuse mm -hmm. as a way to get another dig in at unions is beyond fucking disgusting. Right. He is a and disgusting, <sighs> monstrous man. He's spent so much of the variety interview trying to pretend he's pro union despite evidence to the contrary and some of it's like really fucking bold-faced so you know how the uh, cwa which was the union that tried to form within activision blizzard's uh qa department yeah so you know how activision blizzard 
refuse to voluntarily recognize that union. Like, that was a whole step they could have done if they yeah. were like, yeah, we respect your right to form the union that you were voted to form. We will recognize your union. Uh, so keep in mind, Activision Blizzard refused to voluntarily acknowledge that union. Here's a Bobby Kotick quote. If we have employees who want a union to represent them, and they believe that the union oh is going to be God. able to provide them with opportunities and enhancements to their work experience, I'm all for it. No! I have a mother who is a teacher. I have no aversion to a union. What I do have an aversion to is a union that doesn't play by the rules. Now, he doesn't explain what doesn't play by the rules means. He simply leaves that in the, o in the open to imply... If we didn't recognize your union, it's because you're secretly doing something bad, which, yeah. you know, with the rest of the paragraph, he's implying the union that formed, he refused to acknowledge, you know, not because that would give power to the workers. No, no, no. It's because he doesn't believe it was going to provide them with opportunities and enhancements to their yeah. work experience. They weren't, they were, a, they, they were a bad, evil, naughty union. That's why we said no to them, not because they were a union, full stop. They didn't play by the rules. Like, that's just, that's free pass vagary is what that is. Yep. Yep. Fucking hell. Um, basically, Kotick, at multiple points in this interview, uh, refuses to take any accountability for the uh, reports of the toxic work environment at Activision Blizzard, and instead says, none of that ever happened, it's just workers and journalists being mean and making up lies. We never had a problem, we're perfect. And it's just such... It's the grossest read I've read in a long time. And I am honestly surprised how little attempt there was to push back on even anything, even lightly. What a vile man. Yeah. There's, you know, I've covered um, things that man has said and done now for... God, might be knocking on 20 years at this point. And... He has only gotten worse with time. Well, I say worse with time. It's more the more I've seen of him. There is no bottom to that man's barrel. There is nothing. We're, we're subterranean in terms of my estimation of him at this point. And he manages to still dig deeper, still go lower. In terms of disgusting public figures, I think only Vince McMahon could rival him. Another billionaire, obviously. Um, Which reminds me, um, and I meant to bring this up to you, Steph. You should listen. Behind the Bastards just did a... Oh, I've heard. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you've heard. It's as long as their one on Henry Kissinger. Oh. Yeah, just to, you know, like... <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the Discord's been talking about it a bit in the, the wrestling channel. I do need to listen to it, like, because obviously I don't like Vince McMahon, <laughs> and there is a lot of dark, horrible shit. Well, and Sean Baby's on there, and that was a nice, you know, treat. I haven't thought of Sean oh. Baby in, like, a decade. I've heard of him still doing stuff. Yeah, he's still doing stuff. Out and yeah. about, yeah. yeah. A couple of other bits of news we had this week. Uh, while we're on the topic of uh, the Microsoft attempted acquisition of Activision Blizzard King, um... Microsoft has been working out what they're going to do about the fact that the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, uh, has not approved the uh, the acquisition of, of ABK. Basically, we have some uh, insight into what Microsoft's president, uh, Brad Smith, believes might be the ways forward uh, with this situation. Um, 
So I, I've got some 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 quotes uh, here that have been been summarized uh, from from this discussion. It basically seems like one of the the uh, things that that Microsoft is floating as a potential way around this is to simply pull out of the UK and to just ignore the fact that the UK's regulator is uh, refusing to approve the merger and just go cool. We just won't interact with the UK. Then that's I mean they've wild. They've got form. They've got form when it comes to operating in different territories to like exploit loopholes and get out of regulations. Um, yeah. Remember, all of their games come from an empty basement in Holland, and that's yes. how we pay their taxes for them. Yeah. So as has been pointed out, this wouldn't necessarily mean that. Activision Blizzard games couldn't be sold in the UK. What it would more directly mean is that anyone who is a member of staff employed by Activision in the UK, particularly within like development and publishing, would suddenly not have a job and not be able yeah. to have a job. Like their jobs would be dissolved purely to not be doing business in the UK. They'd be willing to um, do it. It 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 would be dramatic for them to do, but they are putting the threat out there. Uh, it's seemingly ahead of the fact that they are about to be having a bunch of meetings with like the UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt to basically like put the pressure and suggest this is going to be financially bad for the UK, override the regulators because money. Yeah. And, well, mm. a billionaire is going to step behind closed doors with a Tory, so we know how this is going to go um, at the end of the day. Uh, but yeah, it's probably a threat because it is a huge undertaking, like you say, very dramatic. Mm. Um, they would be willing to do it if oh, yeah, they they would sacrifice hundreds of workers um, and point at someone else and say, "Look what you made us do." Um, yeah, yeah. The 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 sheer lack of humanity there is is startling, fucking startling. Yeah, yeah it is what it is. Um... But on the note of people, you know, facing consequences and actually having things uh, catch up with them, we have a conclusion, it seems, to the uh, uh, Yuji Naka insider trading situation. Oh, yeah. Um, Sonic's co-creator, Yuji Naka, has been sentenced to prison. Uh, He pled guilty back in March and has been sentenced to serve two and a half years in jail and fined around a million pounds. Um, Fuck. His defense is seeking to have a suspended sentence, which would hope in in their hopes avoid him spending any time actually inside jail. And they're trying to lower the fines. Um, you know, the defense is trying to claim he accidentally saw information that was extremely unrelated to his work. Uh, that is their quote. But prosecutors said that he showed no signs of remorse and. Sometime later today, the day we're recording... Oh, no, sorry, 7th of July, so a month from now, we should have a final judgment. But right now, two and a half years in jail and about a million pounds is what has been put on the table. Um, So we'll see if that changes in the next month, but they're, they're, they're trying to push for jail time. Wow. Yeah. There is at least an attempt to make consequences happen for someone doing financial crimes. That's not something you hear about every day. No, right? This is why I felt the need to mention it. Like, it's surprising to hear, even even if, like, you know, it ends up getting taught down in negotiations, it's so rare to hear that even floated as an option for, like, corporate-level money crime. 
So yeah. Oh, I've got a fun story for you today. Have either of you heard about the upcoming release of Everybody 1-2 Switch? No. So, do you remember when the Switch launched? It launched alongside a very forgettable party game, officially, yeah. like, Nintendo developed called 1-2 Switch. Yeah, it's just a whole bunch of, like, little motiony minigames and shit, right? Bunch of motiony minigames that, like, if they'd been a pack-in with the Switch, I think people would have enjoyed, but, like, you know... It was on sale the same day as Zelda and no one gave a shit. So we got the announcement via tweet this week that a sequel called Everybody One Two Switch is going to be releasing this month. It's going to cost £25. And the fact it exists isn't the interesting thing. I want to go back to a news story from a year ago. A year ago, rumours of this game uh, surfaced by a writer called Imran Khan... And all of the stuff in that report from a year ago with regards to the game seems to be accurate. The name of the game, the fact that its mascot was going to be a, a person in a rubber horse mask, that there was going to be connectivity for people playing on phones as well as with Joy-Cons. But I want to talk about what was said at the time about it. This was a sequel where up to 100 players could use their smartphones to compete in, in game show-like minigame challenges. Unfortunately, it's claimed that everybody's 1-2 Switch simply didn't resonate with its target audience, namely families and children, and has been testing horribly with playtesters. Playtesters are said to have found its minigames, which included musical chairs and a, a twist on bingo that required digging out numbers, boring and tedious. The response was reportedly so bad that some employees within Nintendo began suggesting the game could damage the company's reputation for quality software if released. Despite those reservations, executives are reportedly refusing to be swayed on the idea of launching it as anything other than a full-price game. Which, it does seem they've been swayed on and they've brought it down to £25, but apparently that was a whole argument going on behind the scenes. It seems like this game was ready to release a year ago, and Nintendo was having a battle over the fact that this game was playtesting absolutely fucking terribly. And a year later, it is now announced. Huh. And I bring this up because it's just genuinely fascinating, and I'm really curious to see what this game is like. Because if this game releases, and reception critically is really bad, it's gonna be a, like, a very rare example where we can go and point to a game and go... We have some evidence that you knew this game was shit and still put it on sale. And that is very out of place for Nintendo. Yeah. Like, maybe something has changed in the last year and it is going to be received well, but it's going to be fascinating to watch this game's release approach, and I feel like this context is really worth knowing as this game comes up to its release. Hmm. So yeah, that's just a weird peek behind the curtain a thing. It's the first time in my life I've ever been interested in 1-2-Switch. Right? It's the most fascinating it's ever been and ever will be. Yeah. So, like, genuinely, I'm really curious what state this, this yeah. game's going to be in. Because the fact that they have brought it down to a budget release price, and apparently they were reticent to do so... I wonder whether the quality of the game hasn't changed, but the price is what changed to make it feel like a better comparison. Yeah, like they can get away with it if they charge less. My gut feeling is that the game is probably still in a state where if it sold as a full price title, people would go, this is fucking shit. And they've just reduced the price to try and get the thing out and yeah. recoup some of it. And I don't like that. I don't like that implication and that sort of reinforcing the myth that budget games are shit. 
You know? Right. And that good games have $70 price tags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would love to be proved wrong on all fronts on this, but it's going to be well worth keeping an eye on. Other than that, a couple of little quick things to finish with. Um, we got a little bit of insight, thanks to a report from Bloomberg, into maybe how Redfall ended up as kind of crap as it did. Mm. So Bloomberg spoke to over a dozen anonymous developers who worked on the game, and it seems like there is fundamentally a pair of problems that went on within that studio. First of all, Redfall was pitched internally to staff at Arcane as a multiplayer Arcane game, and staff working within Arcane at the time were reportedly confused as to how a multiplayer game was going to incorporate the immersive sim elements that the studio was known for, and that those developers were experienced with making and enjoyed working on. The directors of the game apparently, according to accusations by staff, did not provide any clear direction, leaving staff who had joined Arcane to work on single-player immersive sims not only sort of floundering with, oh, we're supposed to be making a multiplayer game, that's not a thing we have experience in or came here to do, but without any real guidance on how they were supposed to mesh that with what they were known for. The directors of the game apparently sort of reference things like Far Cry and Borderlands as things to look at, but were unclear and didn't really explain how to combine that sort of single-player and multiplayer design philosophies. There was also apparently a significant microtransaction plan in place for the game for its first three years of development that was only removed last year, so like a lot of that game's development was planned to be very differently monetized to how it was. The studio was reportedly pretty understaffed, uh, with about 100 people working on the game, which is a lot lower than most multiplayer games end up working with. Also, according to this report, lots and lots of developers, like the, the long-term arcane developers, left during development on the project because developers who were uninterested in working on a multiplayer game left. Around 70% of staff who worked on Prey had left the studio by the end of Redfall's development, which is a bad sign. And then the last bit of Bloomberg's report that is interesting is that Zenimax has a bit of a reputation for paying lower than the average salaries in the industry, which is not great. They're a studio in, in Texas, which is pretty conservative. But also, because the game hadn't been announced, they weren't being very public about what they were hiring people for. And as 70% of their workforce was slowly leaving, they were mainly getting people applying for jobs at Arcane who wanted to be working on single-player immersive sims when Arcane wanted staff with multiplayer experience Ugh. but weren't publicly announcing that fact because they didn't want to announce they were making a multiplayer game. Amazing. So they weren't getting applicants to fill those 70% of vacancies who had the experience to work on a multiplayer game because no one applying for a job at Arcane knew that they should be applying with multiplayer experience. That is just, like... R right put into sharp relief why the multiplayer is so stupid because i was like clearly this is designed like the framework is a borderland style four person co-op but you can only play privately with friends and there's no drop in drop out and right. why clearly 
it sounds like it was made by people that didn't know the basics of it. Yeah. It was made by a bunch of people who oh. applied to work at Arcane because they thought they would be working on a single-player immersive sim and were not told until after they were hired we're working on a multiplayer okay, game no. now. Do you have any experience in that? Yeah. They applied for a job at Arcane because they wanted to make Arcane games. Yeah. The fools. You can see how this whole soup of things adds up to... Explain some of how this game ended up the way it did. Go read the full thing on Bloomberg. It is a really interesting read. Um, Yeah. Um, Last couple of quick bits. Uh, We talked the other week about Pokemon Go, making a bunch of negative changes to how remote raid passes work to try and push people to play outside. Uh And that went over really badly. So there was a community raid event this past weekend, and... Niantic claims that what happened was a technical accident and it was a tech problem and it'll be fixed and it definitely wasn't intentional. But a lot of people who were upset about changes to remote raids really aren't convinced. This legendary Pokemon raid weekend had lower shiny odds for people playing using remote raid passes. People who were remote raiding, and this was not advertised, it was found by data miners, had a lower chance of finding shiny Pokemon, and it was quite a significant drop compared to people raiding in person. And Niantic denies that this was deliberate, but it has really continued to stoke dissatisfaction within the community. And I think that is understandable. If it is a legitimate technical mistake, it is a fucking bad time for it to have happened. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, Niantic is replacing the remote raid passes of people who used them and doing a replacement event, but yeah, we are seeing continued growing ill will with Niantic as they continue to really just fuck over remote players. Wow. And the last thing, just a little nice thing to end on, this has happened every year for the last couple of years, but it's always nice to to mention, Don't Nod's game, Tell Me Why, really cool little game, is just completely free to download for this month. Because it's Pride Month. That's good. Yeah, right. you want an interesting little narrative adventure game that's like just completely free to, to download and have forever? You, you can download Tell Me Why this month. I never did get it when it was on Game Pass, and I, I've, I've heard enough about it that I really should have got it. You can go get it for free right now. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's everything. I think we did it. We did good it. Good for us. Yeah. Wow. Good for us indeed. But I tell you what's good for the listener is even more content from Laura Kate Dale. If you could just illuminate them on that situation. Well, there's a few places you can go find content from me at the moment. Uh, I was on TV the past weekend. You can go check out uh, um, The Games That Made Me, episode one, which aired on Jinx TV. You can go find it on the Jinx TV YouTube channel. Uh, I had a lovely hour-long sit-down interview chatting about five games that changed my life in some way, games that mean something emotionally important to me, just getting to enthuse about the games that I feel passionate about from over the years, and it was a really lovely conversation. Uh, Genuinely so happy with it. I hope people go check it out. Uh, The big thing coming up, obviously, the Accessibility Summer Showcase is this Friday. It's the day after this episode uh, gets published, Friday, June 9th, 4pm UK, 11am Eastern, 8am Pacific, Please go check it out on twitch.tv slash laurakbuzz or youtube.com slash laurakbuzz. There are versions available on YouTube with uh, English language audio descriptions, British Sign Language, American Sign Language. Uh, We've got subtitles that are formatted for easier reading for dyslexic people on the Twitch stream. Uh, I really hope people check it out. I've been working really hard on this and uh, I'm super proud of it. 
What are you, Conrad? Where are you? On oh, the I am at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, I want to let people know Mercenary Creative store is open now at mercenarycreative.com, shipping just about everywhere. I still got to figure out what I need to do to get Europe, I think, sorted, but uh, we've got some cool shit up there. Um, officially licensed Jimquisition merchandise up there. The gays can do whatever they want. Shirts are back in. Got a new one uh, from Red Planet, the Queer Existence is Resistant shirt, which is badass. Uh, It's real good. uh, It depicts a Molotov cocktail made out of a popper's bottle, a hanky, and a Zippo. It is awesome. Uh, so go check that out at mercenarycreative.com, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. Hey, hey. Uh, I do patreon.com slash jimquisition, uh, which supports this podcast and uh, the Jimquisition show, obviously. Um, do check that uh, this week's Jimquisition out on the Jim Sterling YouTube channel, just because, well, we talk about how uh, a a video that upset Zelda fans led to YouTube censoring uh, Michelangelo's The Creation of Adam. Um, plus, Fee made a chaste hempen robe for not just me, but for Claudia the Lobster. Um, hell of a hell of a video. Um, just hell of a fucking story. Um, as I said at the beginning of the show, June 10th, I will be in Blackpool for PCW and Pride of the Ring 2, where I will be in my first ever um, main event. Um facing Harley Hudson for my women's championship. Um buy tickets dot at slash PCW or just look look for PCW UK. Um the next day I will be in Manchester for Sovereign Pro Wrestling at SovPro on Twitter. Uh so June eleventh, Sunday, SovPro's boiling point where I will be facing the um incredibly popular uh, leading man of wrestling, Tony Wright, and I'll have a few words to say about Shreddy, um, the guy who cut that horrible promo uh, where he said people like me don't belong in wrestling. Um, we are still due a match, and I'm going to say a few things. So, yes, uh, very exciting stuff. I will have other news soon, including um, the big London date at the end of this month. But mm. until then, I do thank you so much for listening and supporting, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.